Hello, welcome to Impersonal Opinion, the show where we don't take our opinions personally. This is meant to be a safe show where everyone should be able to share their honest opinions without fear, blame, hate, or censorship. And we have a lot of um, impersonal opinions today. Um, basically, um, I'm here with David Joseph, Jamie Soden, and George Ortega. And there's a story that Jamie brought up about. Um, I can't. I can't remember the name of that girl now. What we've been saying it anyway. But basically, there there was a case involving um, these two girls that were on the same basketball team that were in some kind of lesbian relationship. But as soon as the girl turned from seventeen to eighteen, the parents wanted to prosecute her as a sex offender, um, and. And we and it's a kind of a strange case because these are two teenage girls that apparently there was no bullying or coercion, um, anything like that. So there's no actual abuse being happening as far as we know. And so it's kind of a weird topic and it raises the issue of, you know, age of consent laws that Jamie's brought up before. Um you know, and this idea, it relates to so many things because it relates to people's idea about the legal age when somebody can consent to something. It relates to people's views about sexuality and exactly what is uh, child abuse or not. And so I was hoping that each of us could perhaps just share our impersonal opinions about this topic. Who would like to, does anyone have something to say about this? Um, I can start like with the, the free will perspective. So like, yeah, I, I, I may not agree with what the parents did, you know, but then I also have to understand that they can't be blamed either. In other words, like there's a reason why they're homophobic. There's a reason why they, they don't want their daughter to, to, to be gay and all. And so you can't really blame them for that. Um, you know, I guess also legally, you know, while the girls were 17, they couldn't do anything about it. And, you know, once the one girl turned 18, you know, they're trying to, like, guide their, their daughter to, a, you know, to a path that they kind of, like, um, feel is right. Because they could be very religious people. You know, for very religious people, this is a very, very um, important, powerful topic. So, like, while I may not agree with their, um, you know, their tactic and their position, you have to also have, you know, compassion and understanding toward them. Yes, I agree, George, because one of the problems that happens in, is in all these controversial cases, people are blaming people, you know, um, and this in this whole topic, I mean, we, we understand that nobody has a free will and that there's reasons there's causes for everything we do is that nothing's really in our control. And so it's not someone's choice to be gay. It's not somebody's choice to have a, have a belief system that's against gayness. And it's so, yeah, like, like George, I disagree with this whole thing because it, it you know, the way, way they are prosecuting somebody without there being an actual case of abuse or something harmful but we can't blame them. Um, but it, I think this opens up a discussion of exactly what's going on. And it would be nice if when 
people were talking about these important issues of age of consent or homosexuality and and what parents think is right for their children is, and all that, if people could do it without the blame. Jamie, um, I know you have a lot uh, of thoughts about this age of consent. Yeah, because first and foremost, you, this is the obvious thing. It was put in place for adult um, to stop adults exploiting, um, you know, underage, you know, kids and all this stuff, you know, because that's wrong. It damages them. Um, all sorts of problems can arise from this. Um, you know, they, they can become depressed. They get um, don't they get nightmares from it? I think they do. They get nightmares from you know after they've been raped by someone. But when we're talking about like you know teenagers going out of other teenagers. That's a different matter entirely, and I think you know there needs to be special uh, laws in place to stop like um, teenagers getting registered as you know offenders for like um, you know going out of you know having sex with a partner that's not much younger than they are. You know, I think there needs to be some sort of law to compensate them for that, George. And that's it, a great point, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, in other words, like. This was a very unique relationship in that they were both 17 when the relationship started. So in the cases like that, when one turns 18, I think that it should be illegal what the parents did. In other words, like if the relationship started when they were both minors and then one person turns, you know, you know, adult, whatever, I think that the criteria should be based on the fact that they were both minors when it started. So, yeah, I don't I don't think they should have a case then. Yeah. The way I remember the case, um, I think she was 17 when the relationship started and no partner was 14, but the age difference is only three years. And plus, if I, if I, my memory serves me correctly, there was no blackmailing or bullying involved in this. So where's the manipulation? Where's the deviance in what this girl did? I don't, I don't see it. Well... I mean, actually, I didn't know. So there's one girl was 17, the other one's 14. In my mind, that, that raises a, a question. In other words, like, does a 14-year-old have the same kind of, like, capacity for making decisions as a 17-year-old? They're both minors. For example, like, it, it would be clear, like, if, if one person was, like, let's say, 9 and the other was 17, I think we would see very clearly the, the immorality of the 17-year-old, you know, even exactly. though they're both minors. So like, but with 14, it's, it's a very gray area. And like, she could be a very immature 14 year old. So her parents might be like very, very yeah, um, 17 year old. I mean, the 17 year old could uh, have um, a very immature mind. Yeah. Well, both. Yeah. Yeah. This question of maturity has always fascinated me and what's actually meant by maturity. Um, because here's, here's an interesting thought. Now, Let's supposing that this was a this some kind of relationship between somebody who's one the younger person is eighteen and the other the older person is twenty one. Now, would people still feel the same way about that as they do the seventeen and the fourteen year old? Exactly, or or yeah, or or I mean, if the age of consent is eighteen, how about even like not even twenty one, but like nineteen or something? Yeah, that's a great point, Chandler. Yeah, but since, yeah. Neuro since neuroscience has uh, told us, right, because I, I read some articles all, um, a while back, I haven't, like, completed reading them yet. I've just, um, you know, read pieces of the articles plus seen the headline. Um, neuroscience has uh, proven that adulthood starts at 25. That's what they've been saying. Now, if this is the case, 
then wouldn't that mean that we would need to raise, you know, raise not just the age of consent, but also the age for drinking, the age for driving, uh, the age for voting, stuff like that? I mean, uh, and how do you enforce these laws, George? You know, I mean, that's the big problem. How, how would you enforce them? That's a great point because, like, you know, like in many countries, I think here in the United States, um, you know, in, in like the Vietnam, Vietnam War, kids were being drafted into the war at 18, you know, mm-hmm. and like, so um, um, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a very interesting question. So like, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure, like 25, in other words, there's there some very successful, I think 21, 22, 23 year olds, especially with the internet age. Excuse me, that, um, that, you know, so like, you know, it's it's a hard question, Jamie. I don't know if I have an answer. Yeah, I haven't finished reading them all yet, but the thing is, uh, this is what psychology has been, you know, they've been been saying that psychological and neuroscientific evidence, you know, with frontal lobe development and all all that stuff, they've been saying that it peaks around the age of 25 or maybe a little before it, I don't know. Here's the yeah. Jamie. So it peaks at 25. So like, I mean, I think maybe um, they can establish a criteria for when um, a teenager or young adult would have not a peak in it, but like enough emotional maturity to be able to make uh, adult decisions. Mm. Yeah. So that's why I said to Chandler, for me, adulthood starts at a minimum of 21. You know, that's that's my view on it. You know, because there's a lot of um, mature 18-year-olds, but then you've got a lot of, like, immature ones as well. Some of them make really stupid decisions, I'm afraid. Yeah, and, you know, this whole question of maturity and when someone's an adult, it, it really strikes me as kind of interesting because I don't feel like an adult, and I'm 28. <laughs> so I think you have to be, like, 30 to be an adult. And even more so, Chandler, there's people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s that they are so immature. In other words, like their, their denial of climate change, so many of their political positions are so immature. So, like, you know, it seems like chronological age and maturity are not, you know, necessarily so, so um, you know, um, corresponding, you know, that that, you know, there seem to be other criteria that that, uh, explain that. And I think it's about experience, George, you know, because when somebody is 18, usually they've been in some form of high school, you know, some kind of public school or private school, maybe homeschooled. But basically all they are at that point is somebody who's just have these ideas drilled into them, like, you must believe this, this is the right answer to this. And they have not learned any critical thinking skills up until that point. And so usually what happens is there's a massive life change in the next four years from the time when people are 18 through 22, you know. A lot of them, they go to college, they learn about new subjects in in college, or either that or they join the military or they get some job or something like that that changes their whole worldview. There's massive changes that happen in later teens, early 20s, and I think that needs to be taken into account because, you know, somebody might think something is a good idea when they're just fresh out of high school and they're 18. But then but when they're, you know, 21 or 22, they might be a totally different person. Yeah. An example uh, of uh, teenagers uh, making 
you know, dark decisions would be Justin Bieber. I mean, he did a, a legal drag race in the memory serves me correct, and he spat on his fans, didn't he? So, and he's like, eight, he was 18 or 19 at the time. I'm not like he was definitely in his teens. Um, I'm pretty sure. Wasn't he a Channel Clubs? Ain't weren't Justin Bieber a teenager around at the time? Well, you know what? I know nothing about Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, all the teenage girls know about Justin Bieber, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, what about you, George? Um, no, I've just seen a few pictures of him. I don't think I've even... He's a singer, right? And he's Canadian. Yeah, yeah Canadian. no, I haven't. So. Yeah, he's, he's really young, and, you know, he, he made some, you know, stupid decisions, but, you know, as far as I'm aware, he stopped doing them for the time being, anyway. And I hope that he doesn't do... Um, anything illegal in regards to driving vehicles again, because that could be very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that's interesting is that this issue of maturity, nobody brings up issues of maturity of like whether a 17 year old can play a game of chess with a seven, with 14 year old, you know, people don't talk about this maturity and age of consent in relation to playing chess or playing uh, baseball or, or, or just having a friend and having conversations, notice that the this topic of, of what the law should be is always in relation to sexuality. And why do you think that is? Mm. That's a good question. I mean, I, I think it has to, like, relate to morality. In other words, it could be that, like, for example, a 14-year-old chess master might be able to compete fairly with, you know, a 25-year-old chess master if, if the guy's brilliant, but the 14-year-old may not, even at that, you know, with his brilliance, may not have enough mo emotional maturity to, to also make, um, you know, adult moral decisions. So, like, intellect and, and moral reasoning may be, you know, may be guided by different parts of the brain. Yeah, and this whole question of morality, well, that's interesting because um, we there are certain things that we don't view as being moral or immoral. You know, it's not, we don't consider it, um, you know, a question when someone's playing chess or when they're, or, when, or just, or something else, like they're eating a certain food or drinking a certain drink. I mean, we don't consider those decisions as moral decisions. You know, we don't, we, we don't consider them having long-term uh, consequences. And I think that's why sexuality is viewed in terms of morality, moral responsibility, and that gets tied into the free will thing. It gets tied into the legal system. Because in a lot of cases, yes, it can be serious. Um, and, and here's an interesting thought I have. Now, I understand, like, okay, let's, let's say, now, if it's a, if the 17-year-old was a boy, uh, with a, with, uh, a 14-year-old girl, well, actually, that would actually seem serious. Like, in my mind, that would be more serious, because if they're doing something sexual, well, that results in pregnancy, and that gets into a whole load of other topics. But what fascinated me about that particular story, though, is since these are two girls, there are no damaging effects that I, long-term life-altering effects that I can see coming from this, and that's why I don't think it's a big deal. Yeah. I don't, in regards to, like, you know, people making mature decisions and all that stuff, now, I don't really have a well-thought-out view in regards to 
the age of voting, the age of like smoking and stuff. I don't, to be honest, like why are we even smoking to be Come on, I mean smoking is bad for them, man. There's a lot of things that people do that's bad for them, and you wonder, well, why are they doing it? Yeah, it's just it's just silly. I don't think the age of consent or laws relating to people making like adult decisions. I don't think it, it should be lower than 16. 16 should be the bare minimum, like no matter where. And I, I think I think places like Germany and China have it, you know, just a bit too low, George, because uh, at the age of 14, mm, they could be easily manipulated by you know older men. That's the problem, you know. So. Yes. Yeah, so, so you, you were mentioning um, age of consent being too low. See, see if you can jog my memory, James. It was too low in Germany and China. I think I think the age of consent being 14 over, over there, um, you know, that that um, allows for you know minors to be manipulated, you know. Uh, by right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now, now I remember what I was going to say. Okay. So, are you saying that, say, a um, a 21 year old couldn't be manipulated? I'm not saying a 21-year-old could be manipulated. No, I'm saying a 14-year-old could be manipulated by older men or women. You know, someone who's over, you know, someone's over the age of 21. I mean, you got to see the difference there, man. There's a there's a big difference in, in maturity there, man. Sure. I mean, I I think it depends on a lot to do with the the balance of power in a relationship. So mm -hmm. if you have like a teacher or a boss or, yeah. or someone like that, then the balance of power isn't as equal as it should be. And I think that's what the law is there for, is to protect people from that balance of power and that yeah. way of being manipulated. And I think that can happen at any age, really. It doesn't have to just be, you know, oh, under the age of uh, the yeah. age of consent. Right. I mean, there can be, um, there can be somebody... Yeah, go on. Yeah. I, what I was saying is there can be a problem where somebody's bullying somebody into some kind of a sexual thing at any age, I mean, that could be happening at any age, no matter what the age difference, including between, even, like, say there was one person who's 47 and, and someone else is 44, you can still have that problem, even then. And so, my concern isn't actually so much about the the age of consent, is but about, is harm being done? Is somebody being bullied into doing something that they don't want to do? That's my question. Exactly, that's the issue. Exactly, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's the more common sense approach. So that's why I believe, in regards to consent laws, uh, David Joseph, um, common sense should be exercised. We need psychologists to interview both both parties involved and to investigate the case thoroughly to make sure no um, drugs, bullying, blackmail, etc. were involved. Yeah. Exactly, I, I agree with that. I think that's a good idea. I mean, I was watching a uh, documentary on this called uh, Are All Men Pedophiles? I know it doesn't apply to the re uh, lesbian relationships, but, you know, Chandler, it kind, Chandler, of, kind of... I'm sorry, Chandler, Nick wants to join us. Could you add him to the call? Yeah, I'll see if I can I can add him. Um, sure, sorry, guys. Yeah, okay, let's see. Let's see, I'm trying... Okay, it's showing... I gave you two links um, involved in it. I mean... One was about the Young Turks talking about it, and another guy was talking about the stupidity involving um, involving sex laws. Where all right, I'm here. I'm just listening. Hey, what's up? Hey. Sorry, Hi, Nick. Uh, yeah, me and Chandler were just talking about an important issue, uh, something to do with common sense not being used in our legal system, uh, where teenage relationships happen. 
Yeah, you know, what's interesting is people focus on laws about, well, this is allowed at this age and all that. But people are, I guess it's a, it's a little bit more complicated than that. You know, it's not like every situation. For example, um, in America, you can drive a car. You can get a license and drive a car when you're 16. But does that mean that all 16-year-olds are equally good drivers? <laughs> I don't think so, you know. And so the situation is different with each person. Yeah, some 16-year-olds are rational, some are not. You know, you can't just define maturity by the age. I mean, age is only part of it. But I do believe some 16-year-olds can make mature decisions. Um, it's just, it just depends on a number of factors, really, don't, don't it, David? Well, I, I think, um, you know, that some 16-year-olds can, can obviously drive. And, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, they can have an accident that completely destroys the rest of their lives. And yet they can't consent to an act that mm. probably won't do much damage to them or, you know, any damage at all, really. You know, I, I just don't see it. So. Yeah, well, here's an interesting thought. Think about this. The idea that somebody, like in America, they can drive when they're 16, they can, they can smoke and vote and stuff like that when they're 18. And then they can drink alcohol when they're 21. And I'm like, well, this is kind of interesting because think about it like as far as, you know, what a difference it makes doing these things or not. Like which of these is the most dangerous of things? And perhaps they could all be, rather than having separate ages and categories for different things, why can't there be one age when all of these things are that or maybe not an age necessarily maybe it needs to be a better system than that maybe it ought to be there needs to be some extreme test um done to see if people are ready for these things and you know and this is my impersonal opinion obviously but but smoking and drinking alcohol is not good for anybody so nobody's ready for that at any age well, Chandler, you bring up a very interesting point. In other words, like we do have a driving test. You know, a person needs to demonstrate proficiency in driving. But like, for example, for voting, I think like here in the United States, we had a tradition, especially in the South, where they used voting tests to different disenfranchise like minorities and stuff. So like, but what I think that, in other words, like, so for voting, I think, you know, uh, having a test would be problematic. But for being a politician, now, that's where I think, like, you know, I think they should be absolutely tested in terms of their intelligence, their critical analysis and all, because th that, that is a high responsibility. You know, um, a doctor can't perform medicine unless, you know, they, they go through 12 years and pass their, their you know, medical exams and stuff. Same with lawyers. So, like, politicians should absolutely be made to, to pass tests to ensure that they have the critical analysis skills and, and compassion and, and, and responsibility for the job. Yeah, you know, that's a good point, George, that because, like, yes, with driving, there's there are tests. People have to get a learn permit, permit. They have to learn rules. They have to pass a driving test before they can get a license. And perhaps that is an important thing um, to have tests to make sure that somebody is capable of doing a job in the way that society expects them to. Um, so yeah, I, I think that would make sense. But it's but in, sadly we don't have those kind of things for other things like um, like you know take for example the voting thing that you mentioned. Well, um, you know 
you I guess you can vote when you're 18 or whatever, but you know how there's I don't think there there is a test or even could be a test for that. I do agree with your points in the Facebook channel. I mean, you 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 said that um, people who eat meat are basically the same as a murderer. Is that um, is that what you said? Yeah, something like that, Jamie. And because really, as soon as you start understanding the equality of other animals to humans, like if you consider somebody only a murderer if they murder humans, you know, well, then, and, and that's a lot of people are that way, well, then you only call someone a murderer, you know, if they are intentionally killing humans. But from my perspective, pe there's a lot of people that they know that these animals are are suffering and they are killing someone and so to me i find that to be truly consistent morally i have to be vegan you know to the best of my possible ability what finances allows you know well chandler chandler relative to the free will issue i mean like you know i believe that it's really you know a horrible crime to abuse animals, but we have to remember that, you know, carnists, people who eat meat, do not have a free will. You know, it's actually very unfair to blame them for what the universe or God makes them do. So I, I'm not sure that, like, you know, labeling them as murderers that has such a very strong, emotional, hostile connotation would apply to them. Again, because, because of the free will issue, they, you know, it's, it's like wrongly blaming them for something that's not in their control. Well, see, what's interesting about George is I agree with you, see. I'm just not sure how, the, how to go about the language of it. Because I brought up in previous podcasts that I can't blame the carnivores, you know, for doing what they're taught, for what society deems acceptable, that they don't actually see a problem with even. Uh, so that's the thing about it is I don't blame them. I do see your point. People are trying to justify, you know, the slaughter of animals. I mean, some of these animals that are being killed for the meat and stuff or being killed for leather. Some of these animals have been tortured, George. I've actually seen some, you know, videos on YouTube about this. And it's very heartbreaking. I do admit that. And when I, you know, when I get my own place to live, I'll, I'll try my best to become vegetarian. But it won't be easy uh, considering I was raised on meat. You know what I mean? And like George said, Chandler, right? We don't have a free will, so it's hard to overcome a lifestyle. But I'll read out this comment that I wrote for you. I said, I said to Chandler, pro-life views like yours are respectable, Chandler Clebs, but it isn't realistic to expect everyone to be vegetarian on some basis of animals being slaughtered for it. There will always be people who will try to justify it, right or wrong. You can't stop what nature intended. Okay, yeah. Chandler, I want to, Chandler, I, I want to correct you. I, I didn't say that, like, because we don't have a free will, it's right to make changes in our, it's, it's difficult to make changes in our lives, you know, like becoming vegan or vegetarian. Actually, you know, because we don't have a free will, you know, that, that kind of like, it, it in a certain sense makes it, or, or knowing that we don't have a free will kind of um, helps us in that way. In other words, to the extent we, we know we don't have a free will, we know that there are reasons for why we're a carnist or a vegetarian or vegan. And by knowing those reasons, I think that empowers us to understand what we have to do in order to change. So I just wanted to make that correction. In other words, like, you know, like not having a free will doesn't make changing harder, you know, because, you know, whether we have, uh, whether, because, because, you know, the same conditions, you know, would apply um, under having a free will or not. But understanding that we don't have a free will, 
I think probably makes changing easier. Yes, and I agree, George, because people do change all the time. And like I've said before, I think in previous podcasts, you know, basically it was easier um, since I wasn't blaming myself that I grew up in a culture in a certain way, not realizing the suffering that was being done to these animals. So I didn't blame myself. So I'm like, oh, well, now I know I'll change. It was no, there was no blame, self-blame or guilt with this no free will understanding. And so I actually think that um, change is a realistic thing. You know, I, it's just that it doesn't happen as quickly as we might like. Yeah, but I was about to say about your comment on Facebook, uh, Channer. I agree with some of the stuff you say, but saying that um, people who eat meat are the same as murderers is a bit is a bit like applying a black and white issue to it. You know what I mean? It's it's almost like slander, you know, because these people are not at fault for you know their lifestyle, are they, George? Yeah. Right. Well, here's an interesting thing, way I like to explain it, Jamie. Now, okay, let's take two different types of people who grew up eating eating meat, you know, and other animal products. Um, that's the way they were raised. One of those people, okay, um, they see that it's wrong and they change. Another person, um, they just keep trying to justify it, even though they they know that they're causing suffering. They just find some way to justify it. Well, see, neither of those people are to blame. Neither of those people chose to be who they are, to be born where they are, to be taught by the culture what they have. So I'm not blaming either of those people. One person probably has a higher level of empathy than the other person, leading them to do one thing, while another person is more narcissistic and, and figures you know, that they're more important than anybody else. But it's, I'm not blaming either of them. And so I'm thinking about what George said, you know, um, the, when you when you say that somebody's a murderer, I see how a lot of people, they like they might take that as that I'm accusing them and blaming them. And I don't mean it to sound that way. It's just that I'm by. And one thing that's very clear is a lot of people, they get they fight over the word murder sort of like they fight over you know definition of free will but i mean by murder i only mean that somebody um they know that what they're doing is hurting someone but they're doing it anyway as opposed to somebody who is you know who runs over a squirrel in their car and doesn't even know it Chandler, yeah, I think we're, we're, you know, we're out of time on this podcast but you know what if you guys want to do another one like with the free will podcast Let's explore how sometimes it's easier because we're excusing people. We're excusing people for, like, you know, murdering and all that. Let's contrast, you know, is it easier to excuse others or ourselves? Because sometimes when we do wrong, even though we know we don't have a free will, we'll tend to blame ourselves. I think that's, that would be a good um, topic for discussion. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I mean, people have been making excuses the whole while anyway. Even with the free will belief, people still try and make excuses, don't they? So... You know, it doesn't matter whether you believe in free will or not, excuses are going to be made. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. So perhaps I should end this one and then we'll do a free will science religion podcast. All right. Okay, you've been listening to Impersonal Opinions with Chandler Klebs, David Joseph, Jamie Soden, and George Ortega. And we talked about a whole bunch of issues and shared our opinions on them. 
<laughs> so I hope you've enjoyed this in some way. <laughs> Bye.